0: With us right now, I'm honored to have Herman Simon. Herman, uh, you are one of the world's foremost pricing gurus. You are a a very well-established and known author. Uh, You're the founder and honorary chairman of Simon Kucher and Partners, again, in terms of consultancies in the world uh, when it comes to pricing it, it, there aren't too many on uh, uh, the planet that that exceed the reputation of Simon Kutcher. So Alyssa, it, it, is a, it is an honor to have you, sir.
1: Hi, Josh, I'm looking forward to our discussion.
0: Yeah, so uh, I uh, kind of just gave a very high level introduction uh, of, of who you are in your work, but I, I would love to hear it from you in terms of like the impact that you've been focused on over the past many decades.
1: I grew up on a small farm, could say in the Middle Ages. And uh, my father brought his uh, pigs to market and he had no influence on the price. I didn't like that. And uh, when I became a, a professor and a researcher, I focused on pricing, but I had the ambition to influence practice. That's why I founded Simon Kutcher and Partners. Dr. Kutcher was my first doctoral student. And today, we are a company with 43 offices all over the world, more than 1,800 employees. And uh, last year, our revenue was $522 million, focused on pricing and growth and profit.
0: Well, so uh, you've written the book. Uh, one of your more popular books is Confessions of a Price of the Pricing Man, How Price Affects Everything. Uh, if you wouldn't mind Herman, I, I would love just a, maybe just a quick 101 uh, very high level of if someone is going to spend some time learning with you, what are maybe some of those key tenants that they're likely going to hear over and over again?
1: I have been asked thousands of times, what is the most important aspect of pricing? And my answer is always the same. It's value to customer or more precisely perceived value to customer. And that's a very old truth because the old Romans in their Latin language had one word, namely "prisium," like in precious, for value and price. And that is the eternal equation of successful pricing. Value and price must be balanced. If the customer perceives a higher value, value he's uh, willing to pay more. If the value is lower, you have to charge a lower price. That is one the, the most important lesson on pricing. And let me add something. Avoid Marxist pricing. What is Marxist pricing? Karl Marx, the guy who invented communism, Yes, the labor value of theory said value is only defined by the input of labor, and that's the same as cost plus pricing. That's nonsense. Value is in the eye of the customer and the beholder. So my second lesson is avoid Marxist pricing, avoid cost plus pricing. And if you observe serve these two recommendations, you are already on a very good to become a, a good way to become a successful pricer.
0: You know, it's really interesting, too. I think about, you know, um, right now, we've been in the process of hiring a lot of contractors to do a lot of home projects. And it is really interesting to see how the pricing uh, varies quite a bit. Uh, And, you know, I I, I like the idea. Uh, Again, I I don't really care how long uh, on the, you know, what I want, like, say, for example, um, a, a medical example, if, if I have a, uh, a problem with my knee, I don't care if it takes the doctor 10 minutes or 10 hours, you know, me having uh, a restored knee, if I had a knee issue, that is worth a lot to me, and and that is what I'm willing to pay for. Um, I don't need to know what the doctor makes per hour. In fact, I don't. I kind of don't want to know. Uh, and um, you know, I really just want to know. Uh, you know, is what I'm being asked to pay. Does is that more valuable to, or is is the outcome to me more valuable than the investment? And if it is, we got a deal. <laughs> the only
1: thing which is valuable is the outcome. Not the input. A bad doctor may need 10 hours and uh, damage you, and a good doctor may do it in two hours and you have an excellent result. The problem in many cases, and your knee case is quite good in this regard, is that it's very difficult to judge the outcome ex ante. And uh, for instance, an interesting component of price, if somebody could give you a guarantee that you achieve a positive outcome, you would be pay, willing to pay more from the very... Let me just give you an example from wind turbines. The technology leader in wind turbines is Enercon. And they guarantee 97% availability. All others guarantee only 90% availability. Mm-hmm. And Enercon can afford that because actually they achieve 99% availability. So the 97% does not cost them anything. And customers, their wind turbines have the highest price because they guarantee the value you are looking for. So what counts is the value to customer and not the input in labor or other uh,
0: cost factors. You have another book, Herman, and it's it's called True Profit. Uh, this one's new. This, this is uh, 2021. Yep. Uh, it's True Profit. No company ever went broke turning a profit. And I think sometimes um, maybe as business leaders or owners, um, especially I'd say early stage, there might be an apprehension to... Um, you know, having a very comfortable profit margin because somehow we feel like we're not being fair. I used to be very much in that mindset. I come from the Midwest in the United States where, you know, I I, I, at least what I was exposed to is, you know, you got to be fair. You got to be fair with everybody. And and, uh, you know, I've since realized that I believe I have a moral obligation to have a healthy profit because in that profit, uh, I need to make sure that uh, I'm not taking more customers that I can handle because I need the cash flow. That's number one. Number two, uh, I want to make sure that I have the profit margin that's adequately built in for acquisition, but also RD. And I want to be able to provide the best quality service that I can, so that I can achieve the results that I desire for my clients consistently. I'd love your take on this.
1: I fully agree with you. And that's, by the way, the book, True Profit. Um, the best definition of profit I have is profit is the cost of survival. And that's why it is a moral responsibility for the entrepreneur to make a profit. Because if you don't make a profit, uh, you, you lose your jobs, the company goes bankrupt, and mm. you do damage to everybody. You don't pay taxes, et cetera. And what I call true profit is what the entrepreneur, the owner, can keep after he or she has fulfilled all, all obligations to employees, to vendors to the uh, government, to banks, etc., And things like EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes, or EBITDA before interest, taxes, and depreciation uh, amortization is not profit because you have to pay interest, you have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. So I consider only net profit as true profit. And uh, if an entrepreneur does not have this view that it's like a cost of survival, He's misguided. For a, a certain period, like we have seen that in Amazon, they made uh, no profit for many years. If you are growing, if you have investors, you can afford that. But ultimately, each company who wants to survive has to be
0: profitable. Herman, uh, the, your your company that you founded, Simon Kutcher and Partners. 37, over 37 years ago, coming up on 38 years, uh, I would imagine you have seen some pretty um, interesting evolutions over the past nearly four decades. Um, What sorts of, maybe not, maybe the principles are very similar. How do you address that? Are things more the same than they were as they were four decades ago or Are there really that many differences today?
1: There are fundamental, radical differences. And uh, let me use again an example. Socrates, the Greek philosopher lived 2,500 years ago. He said the value of a product does not come from ownership but from the use of the product, what we call value in use. So why was that idea not implemented? until a few years ago because we did not have the technology. So the sharing economy where we do not sell a car with one transaction for or a scooter for a couple of thousand dollars, but we sell it by the minute or by the hour was only technically possible through the internet that we bring enough buyers and sellers together and that we can at very low cost measure and invoice the use of a scooter for half an hour. So we have seen more innovations in pricing in the last 30 years, driven by technology than in the 3,000 years before. Another fundamental change is globalization. Globalization has become so important that did not exist 50 years ago. There was of course some international trade, but much less today, the international trade is about 2,000 times higher than it was 50 years ago. So these are the two most fundamental revolutions, you could say, in the the business world.
0: What types of companies uh, work with Simon Kutcher? We work for all industries.
1: For instance, in the Silicon Valley, we have more than 40 unicorns as clients, Uber, (laughs) Airbnb, and the likes. We work for banks, we work for uh, telecommunications companies, and all over the world, uh, we are with our 43 offices now in 28 countries, and we are just opening an office in India and South Africa, so that will be 30 countries then.
0: Yeah, amazing. How does someone like an Uber, uh, which again is this, uh, you know, there's a lot of very dynamic pricing, and everything is just based on you know, instant, immediate supply and demand, which is, it's frustrating at times, and it's also very fair, you know. (laughs) It's the ultimate, you know, kind of... you know, free market uh, kind of expression of, uh, you know, of this, you know, rapid dynamic pricing. In fact, um, pricing has been dynamic pricing has been in the news quite a bit with Ticketmaster. I don't know if you've seen this and uh, they're getting some blowback on that. What's your uh, opinion on, uh, you know, dynamic pricing, you know, where it's just very rapidly adjusts with supply demand?
1: It has become very important, and it leads back to our the basic idea of, of value and supply and demand. Uh, say at a certain time, uh, the supply is limited and demand is very high, and people want to get home or to get to the movies or uh, to a music event, and they are willing to pay more. Uh, like in each shortage situation, uh, for instance, In the the early phase of COVID-19, toilet paper was sold out in all big supermarkets. And I found (laughs) toilet paper in a small store in my home village, actually. But it was three times more expensive. Did I bother about the price? I bought it. And because my, my need was high, I needed toilet paper. And that was dynamic pricing as well because this small guy had secured some supply. So dynamic pricing is also driven by technology and adjusts supply and demand much better than in a rigid system where you do not have price differences over time. So it's a a powerful method to balance supply and demand. Of course, that can lead to difficult situations. For instance, years ago, There was a terror uh, attack in Australia. And uh, so there was a surge in demand because people wanted to get away from the terror. And they all called Uber. And the Uber system increased prices by a factor of four or five. And then that got into the press. Uh, After that, Uber, in these extreme cases, makes some uh, manual adjustment to check that in such a situation, it's not considered uh, abuse of the of the monopoly, you could say. Mm. So one has also to li- to be a little a little cautious about uh, not going to the extremes in dynamic pricing, and also in uh, in, in 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 the health and medical uh, sphere, it's a little a little sensitive and touchy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Say mm-hmm. if,
1: if your um, your vaccines are in short supply, and you say, "Oh, now I can charge three times the normal price," that would not bode well with people.
0: Yeah. All right. So Herman, um, you know, we talked about your books. You know, if we were to just give a um, couple of very clear calls to action for someone who wants to enjoy a lot of the work that that you do today, Um, what would you recommend for them to do? Again, thinking specifically about, you know, small business owners, consultants, coaches, agency owners, you know, folks at that level. Yeah, yeah.
1: Let me share my most important insights from this Mm. book, Hidden Champions. Hidden Champions are small and mid-sized global market leaders. And uh, I've found... Several thousands of them. And their success is based on three pillars. First, the ambition to be the best in their market. Ambition to be the best. How do you achieve that? Only through focus. So these companies are very focused, very specialized. But focus makes the market small. How do you make it large? By globalizing. So the strategy of the hidden champions, which are very successful, is based on ambition to be the best, Focus only. Focus leads to world class, and to mega market, large, internationalized, globalized.
0: Yeah, and and again, uh, your website is hermansimon.com, and that's Herman with two Ns, the German with Herman. Two N's,
1: that's a German way of right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The German Herman, which German I
1: Simon.com. Yeah.
0: Yes, Hermansimon.com. And uh, if you want to see exactly who Simon Kucher is and who, again, uh, probably like the global leader in pricing, uh, that's Simon Kucher.com. Herman Simon, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you as a guest on the show. Josh,
1: thank you very much. You're welcome.